Today's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 24. <clears throat> Then the Lord said to Moses, "Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him." When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice: "Everything the Lord has said, we will do." Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men. And they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed the young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, "We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey." Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, "This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words." Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement, made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise His hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, "Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction." Then Moses set out with Joshua his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, "Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hua are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them." When Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, for six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lexi.、Um, We're going through the series in Exodus, and、uh, you'll get a lot more out of it if you're curious about what Exodus 24 is all about. So, can I ask you to open up a Bible?、Um, there are Bibles at the back. If you don't, if you didn't bring one with you,、uh, let's、uh, open it up to Exodus chapter 24, and let's pray that God will speak to us、uh, through it. But let me pray as we start. Lord, we thank you for these words. That all of Scripture is your word, your inspired word, breathed and written for us, 
And now we pray as we come to the foot of the Mount Sinai and see this scene unfolding before us, that you would speak to us, that we might be your covenant people. We might live out your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This chapter is full of strange images, isn't it? It's, uh, there are altars and sacrifices, blood sprinkled on the altar and on the people. Pavement made out of lapis lazuli. Apparently that's a stone that's blue. And what uh, seems to be a volcanic mountain. It looks, at first, daunting um, as we come to the text. But it essentially describes a covenant ceremony, a signing contract ceremony. If you pay attention, you'll actually recognize all the familiar details of signing a contract. For example, in verses 1 and 2, God invites the the people to come up to make this covenant with him. But before signing anything, the people make a verbal agreement. They hear it and they say, yes, we will do what the Lord has commanded us to do. But you know how verbal agreements are. People don't remember. They misremember. It's hard to enforce something that is not written down. And so in verse 4, Moses writes down everything that the Lord has commanded. Uh, Everything that has been said, probably between chapters 19 all the way to 23. And in verse 7, that's what's referred to as the book of the covenant. He writes it all down. And then Moses builds an altar and the 12 pillars And you've seen this too. In signing treaties, you see this. The flags of the nations are often at the background of representing the countries. It's a bit like that. He's making physical representations of the two sides of the covenant. The altar representing God and the 12 pillars representing the people who are agreeing this covenant. And then he does something that is a bit strange to us. He offers a burnt offering and fellowship offering to God. Burnt offerings are offered to God alone, so uh, uh, these young bulls are burnt until they're reduced to ashes. They go up to God. But the fellowship offering is different. Only the fatty parts and the best parts of the animal is burnt, and the rest of it is saved for later, saved for the meal that will come later, saved for the fellowship meal. And the blood of the animal uh, serve a special function. As we see in verse 6, Moses splashes half of the blood on the altar. And later on in verse 8, Moses sprinkles the rest of the blood on the people. But before the covenant is sealed in blood, as they say, the terms of the agreement are, written, uh, are read again in verse 7. It's to make sure that the Israelites know that they're agreeing to something that they know about, they hear about, that there are no surprises. You know, I once uh, signed a credit card agreement. I think it was, the introductory rate was like 2% or something. And then all of a sudden, it went up to 15%. Uh, I didn't really realize why. And so I called them up and I said, why did the interest rate go up? And they said, well, it was in the fine print. It said that if I ever made a uh, late payment, and said something that I do often, late payment, it would go up to 15%. Well, you see, Moses wants to make sure that there are no small print in this covenant, that there are no surprises, that everybody knows what this covenant is. So he wrote it all down, and he reads it again to the people. And look at the response 
of the people. They respond in one voice. We will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. Verse 7. They promise to obey. And they promise to obey because God promises something for the people as well. And it was back there in chapter 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says, if they keep the terms of the covenant, then they will be God's treasured possession, that they will be God's kingdom, God's people. And imagine what that means, being entering into a relationship with this almighty God. If you have this relationship with God, you, then that means they'll be able to enjoy all the privileges, and all the blessings of being in relationship with God, right? And some of it is spelled out in the chapter before, in chapter 23, God says in chapter 23 that God will drive out the nations from the land of Canaan, the promised land. God will drive them out and make that space for them. God will bless them, he says. And not only that, take a look at just one verse, 23, 20, uh, 20, chapter 23, verse 25. He says, I'll take away sickness among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I'll give you a full lifespan. After having been slaves for 400 years, they're rescued. They're promised a land that was filled with blessings, fertile land where everyone lives out their years. It's a bit like return to the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of the Bible where God was uh, the people's God and they were God's people and they, because they were in relationship with God, they were enjoying the blessings of being in relationship with God. God says, you will be my people and you will enjoy my blessing in this land that I promised you. And you can imagine why then the Israelites reply in one voice, we will obey. And before we go on to talk about how they break their vows, let me remind us that actually this is all of us too, isn't it? This is how we started out our Christian lives. When you go back to when you became a Christian, didn't you say to God, God, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for the rescue that I've received. I will do whatever you say. I'll I'll go wherever you call me to go. Because that rescue was so amazing that we responded by saying, I will obey God. And that desire that's in young, eager Christians is in all of us. We all want to obey God, don't we? We want to fulfill our obligations. We want to obey God. Because actually, we have something that's even better than the laws that they received. Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah, envisioned a new covenant a better covenant that was like this but far greater. He said in Jeremiah 31, 33, I'll put my law within them. God says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, we want to obey because in the time of the new covenant through Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. God writes his law in our hearts the law that they received in physical form, God writes those principles in our hearts. That's why we can't be Christians and continue to sin. It will bother us until we stop sinning. 
those having sex outside of marriage. You know, that's not how we're supposed to live. You know that because God has written that law into our hearts. Uh, for, uh, for those of us who struggle with greed, we struggle precisely because God has put it in our hearts to say we should be generous people. We are a generous people. We are, as Niels preached last week, as it was outlined in the law, a people of justice, people of compassion, people who have respect for life, people of purity and love, not only because God has told us to be so, but because the Spirit testifies within us, because God's law glows in our hearts to make us God's people. Many people have negative view of the law. They want to say, well, God seems like a grouch, and God is a killjoy. He tells us all these things to do. That's not Christians. Christians delight in the law of God. We want to obey. We want to keep these covenants because we want to please God, because we are in relationship with God, because God has poured out His Spirit in us, and the Spirit testifies in us. Prophets, Some of you just need to pause then and listen. Listen to the prompting of the Spirit that's in you. Maybe some of you just need to uh, take that time out and and listen to the, see the glow in in your heart and turn to Christ once again. And as the Israelites did on that day, we should say, we will obey. We will do what you say because that leads us to the way of freedom. So as we see, we've seen this, um, we saw the familiar elements of signing a contract. But actually, one element of it, I think, is very foreign, and actually something that we have trouble with. And I, th- that's the sacrifice and the blood. And I searched for animal sacrifices on the Internet. It's not a good place to go, because the images of animal sacrifice is actually really gruesome. It really seems horrific. But as part of the covenant ceremony, this was necessary. This was a necessary part of making the covenant. Actually, you couldn't make a covenant without the animal sacrifice. In fact, in Hebrew, in the original language, you didn't make a covenant. You cut a covenant, referring to the animal that will be cut In the process of making the covenant, you cut a covenant. And why do they do this? Why did they sacrifice young bulls as they made this covenant? Well, the first reason is simply to remind the both parties the seriousness of the promise that they were making. It was visually saying, if I break the covenant, may I be like this animal that was killed? that that's what I deserve if I break this promise. But here, there's another reason. When we make a promise to God, the second reason that the animals need to die was because in order for sinful people to be, to be made God's people, to have that relationship with God, with that holy God, something needs to die in our place. Death is the penalty for our sins. The Israelites lived in rebellion, and they deserved God's righteous wrath. And so the bulls died as their substitute. The Israelites will rebel again and again. In the coming weeks, we'll see how God makes the provision for the animal sacrifice, for them to be continue to be substitutes. 
as they come to God in the temple. And notice that in our text, it's only after the animals are sacrificed, they see God. They have an audience with God. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, they were commanded to come up, but it's only after the sacrifice they go up the mountain to be with God. Because once again, back in chapter 19, God said, you cannot come to me. You can't even touch the mountain where I live and live. Because God is this holy God who cannot be with sinful people. And that warning is in our chapter, in chapter 24, everywhere as well, in verse 1 and verse 2 and 11 and 17. It's all warning signs saying, don't come near me without this sacrifice. But then, take a look at verse 10. Elders, the elders go up to the mountain. And this is what's recorded. They saw the God of Israel. It's repeated again in verse 11 that God didn't kill them, but they saw God. They were with God. How were they allowed in God's presence? Well, once again, because the bulls were sacrificed. Because they became their substitute. But here's the amazing thing about this story. There is um, limitation to the sacrifice of these bulls. As gruesome and as graphic it was, there was a limitation because we're told that they saw God, but what did they actually see? What did they actually see? Look at the description in verse 9. Verse 9 doesn't describe God, does it? They describe his feet. Well, not even his feet. They describe what's under his feet, the street that's under his feet, a street that looks uh, like it's made out of lapis lazuli, this, uh, this blue Um, as blue as the sky. They were shown something of God so that they realized that they're in the presence of God, but they don't see God. They are in the presence of God. They cannot see God. And at the end of the chapter, we're told again that only Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. He goes through the cloud. He entered the cloud to stay with God. Only Moses gets to be in God's presence fully. And the reason... Why that is, is because death of bulls do not take away our sins. They cannot take away our sins. It has that limitation to it. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament put it very bluntly. This is Hebrews 10.4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. You see, in his forbearance, in his patience, in his longing to be in relationship with his people... God allowed people to come approach him through the sacrifice of these bulls. But there is that limitation. And that's why the new covenant through Jesus Christ is amazing. Something Something changes dramatically with Christ, with coming of Christ, because he can really be our substitute. Unlike the people of Israel who cried, I will obey, Jesus actually obeys. He is the true people of Israel. He is Israel. He can be our substitute because he was a human being and the only faithful covenant partner with God. He should have been entitled then to all the covenant blessings. He should have entered the promised land. He should have enjoyed long life. He should have enjoyed the relationship with God and the blessings and privilege that comes with being in relationship with God, but he doesn't. You know the story, rather than enjoying the blessings, he goes to the cross. 
He dies. He was cut as those bulls were cut. Rather than entering the promised land, he went to hell. He became a curse for us to be a sacrifice for us. And through him, we can be with God confidently. Because of him, because his death, we can be with God. And God now lives in us. God has sent his spirit to be with us. And God will bring the fullness of himself and will fill the whole earth with his presence. And we will live there because of Jesus and what he's done. I don't know if you remember the description in 1 Peter, how Peter describes us. At the end of this verse, he says, we are people who are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. As the Israelites approach God through the sprinkling of the bull's blood, we approach God. We can have confidence in, in the presence of God. We can be in the fullness of God's presence because Christ's blood is sprinkled on us. But going back to the story, I wonder if you wondered, why does God go through all the trouble of the covenant? Why does he go through all this ceremony? Why the bulls? Why giving of the law? Why the blood? And so on. And God is such a holy God and a different God from us. Why does he go through the whole ceremony? What does he get out of it? Well, the point of the whole covenant ceremony was at the very end of that ceremony. It's the fellowship meal. It's eating together. The goal of any covenant was restoration of their relationship. And on this day, the Israelites didn't just go up to the mountain to see God, to be in the presence of God. What they they did is they ate with God. They ate with God. Their relationship with God was restored. Imagine... Uh, two tribes, two tribes of back then, say, 3,000 years ago, fighting against each other. And finally, they agreed to stop. They would have this sort of ceremony, right? They would have to iron out the terms of the covenant. Each would agree. Then they would cut an animal. They might walk uh, in between it. They, were, they would swear by the blood of these animals to keep it. And when that is done, what the animal that they killed, they would eat together. They would eat together because... Enemies have now become friends. We tend to, in these days in Hong Kong or wherever, we tend to eat with friends and family, right? That's who we eat with. And that's what eating signifies. It's saying that you are now one of us. We are now friends. We are in relationship with each other. And that's why the highlight of the covenant ceremony is in verse 11. God didn't raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God and they ate and drank. Before God's, before God's holy and righteous anger were directed against people. But they couldn't be in the presence of God. They couldn't even touch the mountains. But when, when the, all the terms are signed, when the bulls are sacrificed, they go up and they now have a relationship with God. It's God's way of saying, I am your God now, and you are my people now. Let's eat together. But once again, they only ate at God's feet. Their relationship was still limited. In the modern day, the closest thing that I can think of uh, to a covenant ceremony is a wedding. 
You make your vows, you sign documents, and you have a party together afterwards. But imagine, imagine as part of your wedding ceremony, animals needed to be sacrificed. You, this, you sacrifice these big animals. You, 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 you cut them, right? And you walk in between them. You sprinkle the, the blood on the two sides and two families. And then the minister... Um, in the old days, bride was covered, right? And the minister, after all of that is done, says, now you are husband and wife. But instead of removing the whole veil, you get the feet of the bride. <laughs> you, you, you just see a little bit of the bride and you say, that's it. But that's what the old covenant is like, right? They ate at the feet of God, and they couldn't be in the presence of God, even still, even after all of that. And what's amazing for us, I mean, for them it was amazing. They talked about it forever, right? They, they, they recorded it, they told their kids that we were in the presence of God. But do you realize what we have? What we have through the new covenant, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have far more through Christ. We are now in relationship with God fully. We can be in his presence fully. And that full restoration of that relationship is why Jesus came. You know, we do communion here at second and fourth Sunday. It's too bad that we can't do communion today. But in a sense, that meal, that communion meal is why Jesus came. Do you realize that meal is also a fellowship meal that's done after the fellowship sacrifice? Jesus died as the covenant fellowship sacrifice. His body was cut. As we say, as we break, as we break the body, break the bread, we'll say his body was broken. The covenant is cut for us because of Jesus. His blood is sprinkled on us and we feast on the fellowship offering, what do we eat around that table? We eat his body. We drink his blood. We feast on the sacrifice that is made for us. And the reason why that is, is because God wants to have full relationship with us. God wants to restore, remove all the obstacles. God wants to see us face to face. God wants to be in full relationship with us. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That's what we celebrate in communion. But that won't, that, that's not just it. Even that is a just faint image of what's to come. On the day when Jesus returns, we won't just see the street um, under God's feet. On that day when Jesus returns, the whole earth will be, will be transformed and the whole earth and the new, new creation will be filled with the glory of God. Everywhere we turn, we will have relationship with God. Everywhere we turn, we will see God because the whole earth will be filled with his presence and we will live fully, fully in relationship with him. We will eat with him and he'll say, you're my people. And I am your God. Yeah, I, I try to think of, like, how do I apply this? Uh, what does this mean? I think it's just hard. Uh, uh, let's just simply just, just soak in. Soak in the gospel message. What this means, it, it, let, let's soak in the gospel message and let's say, I'm thankful. 
I live my life as, in, 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 with joy and thankfulness for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as the Israelites cried out on that day, let's say we will obey. We will obey not because we're afraid, but because we love God. We love and know God intimately. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for these words that are revealed for us, for your plan of salvation, your longing to be in relationship with us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in that relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that we will be people who are so moved, who are so changed by your love and grace, that we will live our lives your way. We'll live our lives in a way that, uh, that, that will please you, that we'll seek to please you. We thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.